Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. This table self-destruct in five seconds. We have a mission. And it's clear we've shared that the last couple of weeks from, from Matthew 28, 18, 19, 20, that mission is to go and make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in, in essence to evangelize, and then thirdly to teach. When we circumvent that process, and we often do in churches, with good intentions, but we just circumvent the process. When we circumvent the process, the outcomes don't work out. In fact, we're wondering why our lives aren't more effective, why, why we're not more influential in people coming to Christ, and we need to stay with that process. Now, last week we began with looking at disciple-making and what that was about and how, how that's biblically defined. And, and basically, to, to sum that up, Disciple-making is the process of bringing people into our world and into our walk. Now, does it involve some teaching? It may from time to time. Does it involve some praying? It may from time to time. Does it involve encouraging? Yeah, it involves all of that from time to time. But it's more about relationship building and more about people seeing into our world and into our walk. That's what he did with those 12 guys. And you'll notice... In all the Gospels, in all four of the Gospels, you'll notice that he took them through a process. He didn't start cutting meat for them on the first day. He gave them what they could digest, and he exposed them. He really didn't teach them a lot until mid, mid-level of most Gospels to the latter part of the Gospels was he, was he working intently with them. What he was doing was exposing them to his miracles, exposing them to his teaching to the masses, and, and, and recognizing that in doing that, he was giving them a glimpse not only into himself, but into what he had come to do. And so they, they lived with him, walked with him daily, uh, day after day, and they saw inside his world and, and saw that he was who he was teaching about, that this indeed was Messiah. This was the one, but they didn't get that early on. They needed to, to be worked into that process. So if he did that, and he's God, how much more important is it that we do that, that we follow that same process? Turn to Romans 6. Uh, chapter 6, we want to look at verses 3 and 4. As we look this week at this second element, baptizing in the name of the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In essence, baptism being the culmination of a life change. And Romans 6 describes that better than really any other passage in Scripture. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, describe what baptism is all about and how we should view it and how we should explain it to others. It's on the screen if you don't have, have your Bible. Or, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism is the death symbolizing the death of our old nature, our old self, the old man, and the resurrection of the new man, just like Jesus put to death himself and was raised totally new uh, after the resurrection. We are that way after coming to Christ. And so 
The baptism is the culmination. It's the crowning moment, basically, of, of that to, to sim- simplify and signify those things, dying to my old nature, living to my new self, to my new recreated from the inside out self. You've often heard it said that it's an external expression of an internal change, and that's very accurate. That's, that's very true. It's, it's a symbolism to say, I, I'm dying to myself in front of all of you, whoever here watching me be baptized, I'm dying to myself, and I'm living to this new man. I want to say that in front of you. I want to live that in front of you. I want you to hold me accountable to that. And so baptism is that. It is, it is this, this outward expression of a changed heart, a changed life, someone who's come to Christ. So it's important that we be, ve- we, that we be evangelical. It's important that we be um, outward thinking in our approach to, to relationships. It's important that we see people in a different light because we know Jesus. It's important that we wonder about them and people we have within our world that he's placed there. It's important that we wonder about them spiritual things. It's important that we wonder whether they know Jesus, what they've been exposed to, what they haven't. And in the process of disciple-making, into letting them into our world, and we, you can determine how far in you're going to let them go, but letting them into our world and into our walk, we can, we can come up with some of those kinds of things because sooner or later, spiritual conversation is going to be breached. If disciple-making is occurring, if they're seeing Christ in you, and you're letting them in for the very purpose of seeing Christ in you, then sooner or later, the spiritual conversation is going to be breached. When it is, we're going to look tonight at the elements of how to handle that. Now, the bulk of, our, of, of what we're going to share is going to be in Luke 10, so turn there. And uh, again, if you don't have your Bible with you, um, the words are on the screen. I encourage you, and I don't probably do this often enough, I think it probably goes without saying, you guys know how I feel about the Scripture. And you know how I feel about the Bible. And, and if the Lord is saying something to you, I, we, we hand out notes for various reasons so that people can keep up <laughs> who are slow. But we, but so people can keep up. So people have a, have a, have a tool to take home to, to work within you know, your own quiet time, go back and revisit, revisit some of these scriptures. But more importantly, I hope you'll, even more important than writing a notes down on, on this handout, is you'll jot things in the margin of your, of your Bible that will trigger a thought within you that the Holy Spirit has said something at that moment, maybe in this service, another service, a Bible study, or whatever. If he's triggered something, then write that out of the margin, underline that word, whatever. Um, scripture's not too holy to mark up. So it's okay for you to, for you to write in it and mark in it and, and highlight things that will help you come back to it to say, uh-huh, yeah, this is, I remember what God was saying to me in this, in this passage. So that's why I encourage you to bring your Bible in case you want to mark the margins up. Now, chapter 10 of Luke These uh, first 12 verses and then verses 16 and 17. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And after this, meaning what he means by after this is is if you go back in chapter 9, he sent the 12 out to do the very same thing that he sent in these 72 out. So that's what after this is referring to. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two, two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Great encouraging word there, isn't it? We'll 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 revisit that in a minute. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if the head of the house loves peace, your peace will rest on that house. If not, it will return to you. Stay there. Eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for workers deserve their wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick, 
who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And look at verse 16 and 17. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now, five things I want us to see from this passage. I think are here among, among several others, but five specifically tonight. First of all, an evangelical, you and, I, you and I who are evangelicals, an evangelical is first of all sent. And that's obvious in verse 1. He sends the 72. In fact, he sent them two by two ahead of him into every town, he says. Now, where did these 72 come from? Well, they likely were followers of his, supporters, perhaps even that, that they stayed, he stayed with them when he came to their region or their town. Um, these 72 were, were probably very likely folks that followed him around either from a distance or perhaps some of them even very close. But we know that they were, they were folks that were, had, had heard his teaching before, had been around enough to realize this is who he's about, this is what he is. So he gathers those 72 together, or 72 period together, and sends them out um, two by two. Now, now these are regular folks. These are folks with no seminary training, no background in ministry, no, no training in evangelism explosion or, or continue witness training or, or anything else, faith or any other evangel- no, had no evangelism training whatsoever other than his telling them these instructions here that we just read. They had heard him teach. They had been around him. But they really had no formal education or no, no real method other than what he told them to use here uh, in, in telling their story. We'll look at that in just a mo- moment. But he sent them, notice here, with a companion. Sent them out two by two. Now, there are multiple reasons for this, but I, I think it's as simple as this. <clears throat> and it can, it can certainly go beyond this, but I, I think it's as simple as this. We're better together than we are alone. Period. We are better together than we are alone. That's why he says in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Why did he say that? Because we don't do very well on our own. Long term, we need other people. We, we need to connect with other people. We need those kinds of connections in our life. We draw encouragement from each other. We lift each other up. We hold each other accountable. We stimulate each other to, to hang in, you know, when it's difficult to hang in. We need each other. Now, what does that look like? What is that description, a description of? It's a description of Acts chapter 2, where Christian community was defined and built. I mean, they needed, they, they stayed together and, and, and prayed together and ate, ate together and shared life together. They built Christian community. That's what that was. And so here's him setting up that to, for these folks to model their need for each other even as they walk with the Lord. What's that look like at Crosspoint? It looks like community groups. I mean, we, we need the connection with each other. We need to do life together. We need to challenge each other, pray for each other, encourage each other uh, on and stimulate each other. Um, we, we, we do better together than we do apart. That's how, he sent, that's how he chose to send them. Secondly, an evangelical is not only sent, but is praying. Look at verse 2. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, ask for what? He's asking, in essence, for the harvest and the help. He's asking that the harvest be up to the Lord and that the help be up to the Lord. The worker is. 
He's saying we need help, and that's, that's why he's send them, sending them out two by two. But the harvest, in essence, the response of the individuals we share our faith with, that we share the gospel with, share our story with, the response then is up to the Lord of the harvest. It's the Lord who creates the harvest. And so the response, the harvest, is up to the Lord of the harvest. Not only is that true, but the help, the, 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 the challenge, the encouragement, the, 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 the conviction, more or less, that that's the lifestyle we're supposed to lead. We're supposed to be evangelical. That kind of drive and conviction and stirring comes also from the Lord of the harvest. So how are we to pray? We're to pray for the harvest, and we're to pray for his help. We can't do it by ourselves. And the harvest is not up to us. It's up to him. So to go into relationships and build relationships with people, to allow them into our world and into our walk, without the intentionality of praying for them regularly, is nuts. We can't expect God to move unless we ask the Lord of the harvest to bring the harvest in his time and to use us and to give us the, the sense of conviction and challenge that we need to do that. So not only are they sent, and he sent them to us and around us, and he's sending us to them, we need to be praying. Thirdly, an evangelical is provided for. Look at verses 3 and 4. Go, exclamation point. <laughs> I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Boy, that's great encouragement, isn't it? Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. Lambs among wolves. In essence, he's saying, you are defenseless, and I am the only defense you need. Don't defend yourself. Don't defend the message. I am your defender. Don't take an offensive message to other people. Don't be on offense. I'll take the message. All you got to do is just be the mouthpiece. We'll look at that more in just a moment. He's saying, in essence, here to, to say, I am your total provision. I'll give you everything you need exactly when you need it. I'll create the opportunities for you. You've already been a part of disciple making. You're letting people into your world and into your walk. I'll create the conversations. I'll create the, the open doors around lunch, over a cup of coffee, and a, and a drive home. Or I'll create the opportunities for conversations for you, and I'll give you what to say. Now, as I said earlier, he sent those 72 out without any training. Most of you in this room have been exposed to more evangelism training than these 72 were. If you're like other Christians like me, there are probably four or five evangelism courses that I've either gone through in the context of a class or on my own. And you know what I've come back to after, after all of that? I've come back to the simplicity of my story and God's story. And I know, I know various methods of how to lead people to Christ, but what I often use more often than anything else to breach spiritual conversation with people is this. Tell me your story. I ask people in Nicaragua, tell me your story. I ask people in Knoxville, tell me your story. Now, what does that mean? Some people will ask, well, what do you mean? Well, tell me the two or three most important things that's happened in your life. Usually the birth of a child or, the, or you know, whatever, those, a marriage, those significant things. And if I don't hear in there anywhere I prayed to receive Jesus when I was, whatever, X, X years old, or I, I found Christ at this age. Or, then there's an, op, there's an open door, an open opportunity to say, you know, what I didn't hear in your story is anything spiritual or any encounter with God. And um, if that's not a part of your story and you want it to be, I'd love to tell you what he's done for me, how he's changed, how his story of the gospel and his son, his death, burial, and resurrection has changed my story for eternity and for now. Um, and the simplicity of that kind of conversation, opening the door to something spiritual, is something really, really simple. It's something that's I've not gleaned from a course. 
It's something that the Holy Spirit has said, just walk this way. Now, he may tell you something altogether different. You may breach spiritual conversation with people, and that's really what sharing our faith is, is about. I've shared this with folks for years. It's learning to make what we believe conversational. And when it becomes conversational, when it becomes a part of our life, things we naturally talk about, it's easy to share with other people. When it's conjured, or we're, we're memorizing of, if you were to die tonight, you know for certain you'd spend, or for certain if you'd spend it. You know, we get so hung up on, did I say the right things? Did I say it the right? And the Holy Spirit's job is to communicate all of that. If we'll be faithful to tell our story to people about what God's done for us, in us, and what he wants to do through us to them, he is all the provision we'll ever need. The, the, and, and as I said earlier, he'll give us the timing. He'll open the opportunity. He'll open the door. He'll give us the words to say when the door is open. If, the, if he's opened the door, he'll give us the words to say. And he's the one who brings the results, too. He's all we need. He's the, he's the total provision, and we're provided for. Fourthly, not only is an evangelical sent and praying and provided for, an evangelical is invested. Look at verse 7. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for workers deserve their wages. Do not move around from house to house. Now, what is he saying? That Yes, even though disciple-making is a process, and we looked at that last week, evangelism, being evangelical, is a process. It's not an event. It's not someone simply stopping and praying to receive Jesus. Is it that? But yes, it's far more than that. It's a process. He's saying, stay there. Stay, build some relationship. Invest some, put some roots down there. Not, not saying that to move your whole world into somebody's house. But he's saying, build relationship with them. Earn their trust. Earn the right to breach spiritual conversation with them. Earn the right to ask them about this. Because they've seen you. They've lived, you've lived in their house, in their world a little bit. And there's a sense of trust that's built by that. He's saying, you need to make an investment. You don't have the right to walk up to somebody on the street. Now, I'm not saying don't do this. And let, if, if God leads, then do it. If he doesn't, don't. But if he leads, you, you, you be obedient to it. But you don't have the, most of us don't have the right to walk up to somebody on the street and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Now, if God's, if God's led us to do that, then he's probably opened the door already for them. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But he's talking about here investing in people, building enough relationship and enough trust to tell them your story, and they've got a, you've got a captive audience. Why? Because they've seen your life. They've heard you talk. They've seen your decisions. They understand your values. They've seen that your life either is sold out to him or it's not, that you're serious about your faith or you're not. And so you build within those kind of relationships some credibility. Our story does. Now, I want you to also see this process that he uses oftentimes in people coming to him. There is the sowing where the, where the gospel is shared. Our story is told. Um, there's, there's the watering process, and that is this follow-up to conversation by way of prayer. Uh, these, these no blanks in your handout, so if you want to write them down, you have to write them down on your own. But the, there's the sowing process, there's the watering process, there's the growing process where um, you build relationship, you build community with someone to the extent that you're, you're nurturing them along, and then there's this reaping process where a person, the Holy Spirit has drawn their heart, the Scripture says, they're ripe for the gospel, they're ready to pray to receive Jesus. Now, if a person is already to that fourth step by the time you talk to them, somebody's already done the other stuff. Somebody's already done some sowing that you've never done. Somebody's probably already done some praying that you've never done. Somebody's probably already done some relationship building and growing that you've never done. There's been a, an element of trust already built there, but there is, there is a process. And it's not wise to circumvent the process, the short circuit, to, to see, the, to see the, the prayer for evangelism, someone praying to receive Jesus, as the, as the ultimate end because it is the 
Actually, it's, it's the last step in the process, but the first step in their growth, the first step in their belief. I, I prayed to receive Jesus as a nine-year-old at a tent revival service. After talking to my mom years later, she had been praying for me for about a year. Now, let me ask you the question. Who's more critical in my coming to Christ, the evangelist at that service or a mom who had been praying for me for a year? Both. The answer is both. So this process of people coming to Jesus is not accidental most of the time. Somebody has sown an investment in, whether it's a at a Sunday school class or on a retreat or a, or a coach or a friend or a, or a grandmother, grandfather, somebody has sown into somebody's life. If you're the one who comes along and gets to do the reaping where a person's ready and ripe to receive the gospel, great. But you may be the sower. You may never see the reaping. There may be somebody else down the road. You may be the waterer. You may be the one who prays just over, over that relationship that you've sown in and somebody else will reap that. You may be someone who builds relationships, who, who tries to grow, who tries to... Make some, make some discipleship happening, hap, uh, happening there with that individual. But the reaping is done at the end of that. And usually, most people don't come to Christ unless those, that process has been taking place. It takes time. There's an investment. The two most important words in that verse are, stay there. He says, stay there. Make some investment there. Build some relationship there. Build some trust there with those folks. Finally, the fifth thing is this. An evangelical is a messenger. 16 and 17 remind us of that. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. What's that reminding us of? We're just workmen. We're just employees. We're not responsible for the outcome. We didn't create the plan. His plan, his design, his outcome. We're just the messenger. We're just sent to tell the story. We're just sent to share the good news. We're just sent to communicate the gospel to someone else. If we understand that, the pressure for the doing it and the pressure for the, for the, for the, the, the accomplishment of it, the person ready, their readiness to receive Jesus, are totally all up to him. None of that's up to us. Here's why this is such a pivotal thing that you and I get, to understand that we're just the messenger. <clears throat> I'm convinced that the majority of the reasons why people don't share their faith more readily and more often with people around them is the enemy has crept in and said things like, you don't know enough. You're not smart enough. You don't know enough verses. You don't have a system in place. You don't have any of these things that Tim was talking about, the, the EE and the CWT and the faith and all these other initials. You don't know any of that stuff. You don't have any of that down. You don't have, you, what, do you, what do you think you're doing? You don't. You need to glean some more. You need to grow some more before you're ready to... And we, we buy that lie over and over and over and over again. And he says to us, you know what? You're just the messenger. You know what's the messenger? The messenger just tells a story. A messenger just tells, here's what happened to me. Here's what I know. If that's true, a person who's been a believer five minutes can share their faith with someone else and lead somebody to Jesus because that's all they need to know is here's how I came to know him. And if your heart's ready, you can pray to receive him too. You can begin the process of giving your life away to him today. So it's not what we know. It's not now. Please don't leave here saying that that a system is not important or that using the scripture is not important. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that don't allow the enemy to beat you up over what you don't know, over the verses you haven't memorized, over the system that you don't have that you don't carry a card around in the front of your Bible that tells you. Don't don't allow the enemy to beat you up over that. Why? Because. You're not responsible for the outcome. You're not even responsible. He's saying here for the opportunity. He's creating the opportunity. He creates the outcome. 
He's the provider to say, here's the opportunity. I'll tell you what you need to say when you need to say it. I'll open the door. I'm responsible for all of it. So if they reject it, the rejection is his. If they accept it, the harvest is his. It's all him. And once we get that, once we get that, we're just deliverers. We're just news people (laughs) telling the news of what's happened to us, the good news of what's happened to us. It's far easier for us to not be intimidated by the enemy anymore when he says, you can't, you don't know enough to do that. Well, sure you do. You know Jesus, you know enough. You got a relationship with him, you know how to tell somebody else about your relationship with him. It is really that simple. Now, one observation and a question and we're through. We may not all be evangelists, but we're all called to be evangelical. We are all to be evangelical, even though we may not have the gift of evangelism. I've been around a few people who have the gift of evangelism, and it's obvious. Uh, I mean, it's, it's really clear. One is they have an incredible passion to see people come to Jesus, and it, it consumes their, their mindset. It, it consumes almost every waking thought of theirs is somebody, this person needs to know Jesus. And so as you think about evangelism and you think about evangelists, you look in the Scripture, the Ephesians 4, and, and God gave them some as pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets and evangelists, and, all, and you see all that, and think, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not, I did the gap thing, and I didn't really score that high in evangelism, so I... Am I, can I be effective at leading people to Jesus? Yes, you can. Now, the evangelist has his role or her role as well, but we can all be effective because we can all be evangelical. Why? Because his process, back again to Matthew, of making disciples. As you go, make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father. Be, as you make disciples, you build relationships, you bring them into your world and into your walk. When you bring them into your world and into your walk, you're going to expose them to me. They're going to see me in you. It's going to be a natural process for them to come to me far easier by seeing your walk rather than you're telling them something they've never seen before, never heard before, because they've seen me in you. That's how I did it with the 12. That's how you need to do it with everybody else. God's design is for evangelism to occur in the world, not in the church. Now, great people can come. If if you don't know Jesus, you're in a great place tonight because you can come to know him right here. And we hope that happens, but it's God's design that evangelism happen in the world. It's designed, it's his design that it not necessarily happen at church. It's designed that it happen over work conversations, over dinner conversations, over a drive someplace, over a connection someplace, over coffee. It's his design that it happen as a part of life, not as a planned event. I I pondered whether the Lord wanted me to share this with you or whether he doesn't, and I think he does. So let me share it with you. Please don't hear it in a judgmental fashion. I don't mean it that way at all. But if an evangelist takes their evangelism to the church, they're being disobedient with their gift. An evangelist needs to take their gift of evangelism into a place that needs it, into a dark world. Now, are there lost people at church? Sure there are, especially in the bigger churches. No slam against bigger churches. Are there lost people in church? Sure there are. But evangelism is needed in the world. That's why I have such great respect and and have for years had tremendous respect for Billy Graham. He didn't take his message to the church. He took his message to the cities. He took his message to the stadiums. He took his message to the tents. He took his message out in the the culture where people needed to hear about Jesus. And God blessed his ministry and still is immensely. Why? Because he he was obedient to his gift. Now, please don't hear judgment. In, in my saying that guys who come to churches to do hold evangelistic meetings are out of the will of God, they have to answer to God for that. I just don't see that line up, lining up with Scripture. And you, you've 
heard terminology over the years, well, this, this is God with 10 sermons and 10 suits. And he goes from town to town and church to church with his 10 sermons and 10 suits and tries to get everybody in the church resaved again. Boy, there's been so much confusion in the body of Christ over that very thing. And I, and, and I just, I cringe at that. I really do. Evangelism, God's design is for that to occur in the marketplace, in life, at work, in, in the places where we go. That's his design. Now, can people be saved at church? Sure. Should they? Sure. But as a result of what's already been done, as a result of the sowing, as a result of the praying, as a result of all that you've already made investment in, then someone else, maybe me, maybe Jerry, maybe you here with a friend, get to share and pray to receive Jesus with them. Um, But it is a process. And if we short-circuit and circumvent that, we do such great harm to the kingdom because people grow up in spiritual confusion, wondering, am I... What happened? Was I serious? Was I not? Was I ready? Was I not? And if they're ready, boy, it'll occur naturally. It won't be a forced thing. One question as we close. Who's God placed in your world that needs to know him? Who's he placed in your world, not in this church, but in your world that needs to know him? Has he already maybe perhaps opened doors of opportunity with you and them by way of conversation or maybe several thems? By way of conversation, creating, creating an opportunity where they're wide open to spiritual, a spiritual question or they're wide open to conversation about spiritual things. You've built enough relationship with them over time to where they're open to that. Um, I want you to be sensitive to that. I, if you don't take away anything from tonight's message, I want you to take away this idea that, that well, I am not where I'm at by an accident. I mean, though... Some things kind of happened beyond my control, or maybe it was all my control in part where I'm at or where I'm working or what, what I'm doing with life. It's by God's design that the people around you are around you. I want you to see that and know that and see that as God's will, that he's placed the people in your world by design that are in your world, and he's placed them there to hear from you, to hear from us. Um, whoever that is, whoever, whoever came to your mind as I asked that question, Who's in your world that needs to needs to hear about him and needs to hear your story? Um, I want to encourage you to begin to pursue him because please don't answer no to this. Please don't stand at the end of your life and answer no to this question. Will anybody be in heaven because of you directly or indirectly? You know for sure somebody will be in heaven because of you. Please don't get to the end of your road and say, oh boy, I don't think so. I don't know. We're called to be evangelical. And it shouldn't be forced. It shouldn't be conjured. It shouldn't be fake. In fact, it shouldn't be slick even. It ought to be natural. It ought to grow out of who we are, out of what we believe, out of what God's doing in our lives or has done in our lives, this this whole process of of making disciples, of evangelizing, of baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then next week we'll look at this this third step of teaching all these things I've told you, that I've shared with you. Um, that's a God-ordained process. If we cut it short, if we don't see it through, or if we drop it, nothing gets done. So I want to encourage you to, 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 to take that seriously. Cultural Christians, I'll share a little bit of this in, in this week's e-news. Cultural Christians see evangelism as an event, um, as the pastor's responsibility, as something I should give some money to, uh, cultural Christians see it as, as often something for somebody else, something for the evangelist, some, somebody that's called to do that kind of thing. They never see it as a way of life. Evangelicals, 
see it as a way of life. Evangelicals see sharing Christ and telling her story as a way of life. It's not an event for them. It's not something to send money to, not something that happens at church. Evangelical people see their faith growing out of their conversations, out of the cracks of their lives, where people, when they're around them, they, they get that. They're going to get it sooner or later that they're going to, Jesus is going to come up. It, it Maybe, hopefully, it hasn't come up in an offensive way. Hopefully, we've earned the right to share, and we've earned the right to do what he said, stay there, build a relationship, put, put down some investment there. Hopefully, they, we, we've earned the right such that when we share, they're ripe. But I want you to, to think through tonight and as you go home tonight when you lay your head down. Lord, have you placed this person in my life totally by accident? Have you placed them in my life just to aggravate me, just to create hassle for me? Is this why this person's here, or could they be here for me to share with? And I wish they weren't here. I mean, I wish, they, I wish them, I wish they were in my world, not him, not her. But could they, could they be here for that very thing? Could they be here for me to share with? Maybe I'm the sower. Maybe I'll never be the reaper. Maybe I'm just the prayer. Maybe I'm the, the person who brings about the, helps to bring about the growth of the, of the seed being sown. They start to realize, man, I, there's something to this. Maybe my, maybe my role is not to reap the harvest, but could I be the one who breeds conversation with them? Could I be the one who builds a relationship that I've been skittish to build up to now with them? Whoever those kinds of people are in your world, I want you to see them as people at God's place there. And hopefully begin to think through this idea of, am I evangelical? I mean, do I even, am I even sensitive to the fact that they may not know Jesus? Has that ever come up? Will it ever come up with them? Well, I hope it does. I hope this challenges us and stirs us into saying, this process will work if I follow it. Now, if I see evangelism as sermons and suits and knocking on somebody's door at four in the afternoon, and if that's the way I see evangelism, I'm, I'm missing what God laid out for me. I'm missing the plan that he really designed to work more effectively. And if I'll get in that, not only will it work, it'll be more natural. It'll come out of who I am, not out of what I know or what I've learned, but who I am. And people will respond to that. Father, thank you for reminding us tonight through your word. And it's, it ought to be the, the thing that sticks in our mind as, as, as we see in Romans what, what baptism is about, this, this dying to our old self and living living this resurrected life, living this, this newness of thinking, this newness of who we are, totally redesigned, recreated from the inside out. As, as we're reminded of our own baptism, would we, would we be drawn to the importance of someone else experiencing that too? Someone else saying no to the old nature and being recreated inside out too? Someone else, you doing a miraculous work in their heart for eternity just like you've done in ours. As you remind us of those folks in our world tonight, some we thought were there by accident, some we wish would leave, <laughs> some we wonder why, why in the world they keep hanging around or why they, they keep having conversation with us. Could it be that those are the folks that we sow into? Could it be those are the folks that even we may be able to reap from that someone else has already prayed for, sown into, shared the gospel with? You've called each of us, not just evangelists. You've called each of us to be evangelical, to wonder thoughts about people around us. Do they know Jesus? Do they see him in me? Would they listen if I shared about him? Father, teach us to think those kinds of thoughts on a regular basis. Let that be in our spiritual DNA that it is who we are, and it comes out of 
who we are and not something that's, that's a, a conjured process or a learned or planned event of some kind. But would that grow out of who you've wired us to be? Would that grow out of what you've done in us? And give us the confidence to tell that story because we can tell it. We can tell ours better than we can tell anybody else's. Give us the confidence to tell our story to other folks over and over and over again. You will use it. You promised that you would. Because in that is the gospel where Jesus comes in and changes us for eternity. Let that change be contagious. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.